Good afternoon. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus, the show that turned around the Toronto Blue Jays season. They remain hot. They won two of three over the weekend against the Detroit Tigers. Nice little series down at Comerica. Lots of Jays fans traveling for it, impressing Kevin Gosman. He was tweeting out today that he had no idea Detroit and Toronto were so close. He was shocked at how many Jays fans were there. Cry laugh emoji, cry laugh emoji, cry laugh emoji. Uh, I'll give him a, a pass, a waiver on my distaste for the cry laugh emoji in that case because it's Kevin Gosman and you can do what you want if you're going to pitch as well as you have. Uh, the Jays win 10-1, lose 3-1, win 6 nothing. We're going to sort through all of it. They're 13-4 since May 24th. Happened to be the day we announced that Jays Talk Plus was coming. Can't take full credit, but uh, take a little bit of credit. We have a couple guests today. Arden Zwelling is going to join me in studio for the first hour. Paul Mancano, Cadence Weapon coming on a little later. Talk about his new book, Bedroom Rapper, and his Jays fandom. And then, of course, we'll tee up game one of four against the Baltimore Orioles. Send in your texts, questions. You can text 59590. You can just tweet, it the, tweet them to me, at Blake Murphy ODC. We've hooked Arden in for a whole hour. So specifically, if you have questions for him over the next little bit, keep them coming. Joining me from sportsnet.ca, from the At The Letters podcast, Arden Zwelling. Thanks for coming on, man. How are hey, you? What's going on, man? It's, fu- it's funny the things that like professional athletes don't realize. Like Kevin Gosman's, I didn't know Detroit was so close to Toronto. I've just never seen a map before. Like, it's just like sometimes like, they just live in a different world than us. Be like, oh, do you know you get milk and like cartons, <laughs> like just at the store? It's like five bucks. Yeah. It's amazing. Especially living in a place like he grew up in Colorado where there's not a lot around. Like it's the one thing you can't fit into another trip. So he probably has very little concept of like, I'm sure he knows the baseball hotspots. Yeah. But I can't imagine he was like summering in, in Ann Arbor or anything like that. Yeah. Why would you leave Colorado when the nice weather comes? Do you know there's like these places that you can go and you give the guy money and he just like cuts your hair? Yeah. They don't like normal people actually go to a place. They don't just bring a guy in to the clubhouse. How do you people live like that? Unbelievable. I wonder too what is, you know, he has tattoos. He hides them kind of well, but like, is he just shocked that you have to like book an appointment and go in somewhere (laughs) versus just having a guy roll up to your house? It's funny. He's like, actually, he's a really down to earth guy. Like he's been great just for our purposes in the clubhouse, like just just shooting the breeze and like having conversations. Like he'll go into all kinds of interesting stuff. Like he is really like an interesting dude. He was in spring. Like it was so funny because he just like would hold court at his locker most days and he would have a cup of coffee every morning in like a legit mug. He didn't have it in like the little disposable okay. like the thing you're drinking out yeah. of here. He would have like, a, he brought a mug to the ballpark and he'd just sit there and like sip coffee and pick at his blisters and like <laughs> his gloves and stuff and just like tell stories. He's a really interesting dude. He's had an interesting career. He sure has. The blisters thing is wild to me. They're just like, now nah, I'm going to live with blisters for my entire pitching career. And I'll no just, choice. instead of learning how to pitch without blisters, I'll just learn how to pitch with blisters. So uh, Aaron could Sanchez could have taken a lesson. He could pitch without blisters at AAA. Yeah. <laughs> to throw the splitter, he needs to develop a blister. Like it's part of the gig. Like you cannot yeah. throw that pitch without a blister. Like I've shown me how he grips the ball. Like Yeah, the is. Vulcan grip, as they call it, where you're, you're, Second and your third finger are so far apart. You are living with a real level of discomfort when you're throwing a ball like that. Like you really need to wedge it in between the fingers as well. I've and tried. Then, yeah. 
when it comes off of that sort of, I guess it's the inside portion of the middle finger, when it comes out, like you need to rip it off of there. So you are cracking nail, you are developing blisters. Like it's just part of it. You can't not have that happen when you're throwing a splitter. It was one of the things when there was that start where everyone thought maybe he was tipping pitches or Minnesota had something on him. My mind did go to at one point is like, well, maybe the the nail's just gone today. Maybe the blister ripped open and it's something yeah. like that. It's He's the next guy that's going to have a little blood down the side of his pants as he wipes his hand off on it or whatever. Uh, he did have an okay start on Saturday, bounced back a little bit. One, two runs, one earned over six. He It was the, the game the Jays lost. Uh, but they had a good weekend. They take two of three. They finish eight and four against that AL Central stretch. This is a an unbelievable stat. They're 13 and four since May 24th. They've lost a game and a half a ground to the Yankees <laughs> over a 13 and four stretch. Yeah. It's uh, a little painful. At what point do you kind of downgrade the goal from like catch up in the division to, well, let's just host the wild card series. Well, you'd need the Yankees to basically like lose the rest of the way. Right. In order to catch like yeah, it's they eight and a half at this point, such a le- if the Yankees go 500 the rest of the way, the Blue Jays could be really, really good the rest of the way and still not catch them. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty wild what the Yankees have done. So hey, uh, my thought my thought has always been just get into the postseason. It doesn't matter, right? Like obviously there is incentive to winning your division to being one of those top two in the American League. That would be nice. It's the playoffs, man. It's rolls of the dice. You know, it's it's chance. It's now, fortune. I don't want to look in anyone's pockets or anything like that, but it shouldn't be lost on you that the the playoff revenue of hosting that three because it's not two and one, it's three. Do you get a cut of that? Because I don't. No, but I mean, I... there's a there's a financial security element. <laughs> Which to... part of the HR website do I go <laughs> yeah. to? For I don't my know slice. Your, your stock <laughs> options or whatever. Uh, I do think that that would matter. Some te- so when you look at obviously it's not it's not really fair to measure any team against what the Yankees have done so far when they're on like 125 win pace or whatever it is. But the Jays come out of this AL Central stretch eight and four. It, it didn't go. They took two out of every three, but they averaged two out of every three. Do you feel like given the environment in the AL East this year, that's almost a missed opportunity to to not have done more damage? Like it feels silly to say taking two out of every three isn't good enough, Yeah, but it's kind of not good enough. So right you have now. to like sweep the Orioles this week in four. You right? got to take three out of saying, four, right? I think. Right? Yeah. If you got to take at least three just to keep pace and like Boston is winning now, the Rays are going to win. I think today, like all four AL East teams are in playoff position. So here we are in the middle of June looking at the standings, right? Like plenty can happen between now and the end of the season. But yeah, if you're the Blue Jays, you just just beat the teams you can. And when you have a chance against the Yankees, try to take games off of them, right? You get a chance this weekend. That's why it is like a sneaky big early season series. Because if the Yankees sweep you, that's a problem, right? Like they're now knocking you way down the standings. You want to take two of those three you take three of three great you've now like actually done something meaningful but two of three at least this weekend against new york is needs to happen for the blue jays yeah and the way you've always at least in recent years more or less had to approach the al east is most years boston tampa bay the yankees you got to finish 500 in those games and then it's what you do against the rest of the league that determines where you finish, right? If you can go 500 over the, well, I guess you can, it's 57 games. If you can go a game over or a game yeah. under 500 across those three teams, and then you do a better job taking the easy ones. But it's easier said than done. Like the Pirates keep beating the Dodgers. The Twins took a couple off the Jays. These, these weird things happen. Uh, and the Orioles aren't 
we're coming off the Jays playing two pretty bad teams. The Orioles aren't that they're not good, but <laughs> they have like a 95 WRC plus against right-handed pitching. That is for anyone who doesn't know that that says their offense is about 5% below league average. Uh, when you adjust for a few things against right-handed pitching, uh, they don't have very good pitching themselves. We'll, we'll tee up tonight's matchup uh, a little later. It's Alec Manoa against Kyle Bradish, which is one of the more lopsided starting pitch up, pitching matchups you can get. The Jays are minus 300 favorites tonight. Uh, I don't believe you're a big betting guy, but no. that is like a 75% implied win probability. That is so massive for baseball. I went back and looked and over the last like year plus the Jays have only been a, that big a favorite six times. Five have been against the Orioles. So I got to make the mortgage on Friday. Are you saying that I should just take that and put it on tonight? Is that the recommendation? No, I'm saying that there's no value there. Is that such an extreme line to say that like, Hey, seven. I mean, basically that line says you're going to take three out of four Every time Manoa goes against Bradish and, and you hope that that's right, but that's a big bar in baseball. It's baseball, man. Like crazy. That's why I was saying about just getting into the postseason, yeah. right? You got a three game wildcard series. Anything can happen. You can, any team can beat any other team two times out of three at this in MLB. Like yeah. I don't care who it is. No, like, you can care. have Kevin Gosman has his one bad start for the month. Ross Stripling throws six shutout against you. These, these things happen. Baseball's weird. Um, let's get into some of what happened this weekend before we look ahead. Obviously, the big headline item, Gabriel Moreno debuts. He plays in two games. He catches Kevin Gosman. He catches Ross Stripling. What was that process like from, and I know you weren't in Detroit, but I'm sure you have an idea of what is kind of the crash course from Thursday, you're told you're coming up, yeah. to Saturday, you're making your debut. Well, that's part of the reason why they gave him Friday off of, the roster. I guess they didn't give it to him. They actually took a day of pay from him. But they, uh, you know, that's why he had that Friday off of the roster just to shadow Alejandro Kirk basically and be like, all right, here's the process. Like, here's what time we have meetings at. Here's the reports you're going to get, the scouting information, the data. Here's how you synthesize it. Here's where you get your armband. Here's when you sit down with the starter. Here's what John Schneider's going to be in your ear about. Here's when you have time for tea work. Here's when you time, have time to go. Hit, you know, hitting the cages. Here's when you have time to eat, <laughs> like, right? Like here's when I actually sit down and like get back to those 15 text messages or whatever, because he wouldn't understand that. And, and being in the minors, like it's a whole different process in the majors. And Gabriel Moreno did get a few dry runs during spring training towards the end. Like he wasn't in games, but the Blue Jays were doing like mock game days with him away from the field at spring training just to run him through it and get him acclimated. It was like, as soon as I heard that that was happening in spring, that's when I was like, oh, so he's coming up this year. Yeah. Right. They're <laughs> not doing that if he's not going to be impacting. Look, you're a smart guy. There's a reason you did the Moreno feature and had it published in spring training, not in your back pocket. Exactly. Right. But so that was part of the Friday process. And then Saturday, I mean, Gosman is... Nobody at the big league level is easy, quote unquote, to catch. Like catching the big league level is not easy, but he is on the easier side of guys to catch because it's like, I want to throw my fastball up. I want to throw my splitter down. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. I got to throw a couple more sliders today. Okay. So instead of using it five times, I'm going to use it 12, right? And I'll tell you when probably. Yeah. And the the pitch calm with Gosman would have been pretty straightforward as well. Mm -hmm. With Stripling on Sunday, that was a different animal. And we did see Stripling shaking a bit on the mound. Like we we saw it taking a bit longer for him to get to the calls. Um, I think earlier, I think first trip through, I thought Moreno had like a good handle on what Ross Stripling wanted to do. But the reason Ross Stripling is successful is because nobody has a handle on what he wants to do second trip through. Because right. it's going to be completely different. So you could see Moreno taking a bit more time to get to 
the pitch that Stripling wanted to throw and Stripling as well as a guy who like gets so deep into the scouting reports and so deep into hitting or attacking hitter weaknesses. He's got a really good idea. So that's why I think you saw the flow maybe not being quite as crisp second trip through, but the results just as good. Yeah, six shutout uh, and just one hit for Ross Stripling. We're going to talk a little bit more about Stripling in in just a sec. When you look at that learning curve for a guy like Ross Stripling or or even a a Gosman for anyone, for a 22-year-old catcher, would you anticipate for as long as he's in the majors here, he's catching three guys and it's the same three guys every time out just for simplicity's sake? Like, we know Kirk is going to catch Barrios. I'd imagine Kirk's going to catch Madoa tonight since, since Moreno caught the last two, but he'll do then, um, you know, he'll catch Gosman and Stripling next time through and maybe Kikuchi, depending on how they want to split this up. Like the Blue Jays stay away from saying this guy's going to catch this guy and that guy's going to catch that guy because they know that stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. Because you can't always control who's going day game after a night game, right? You can't always control like who's carrying a little nagging injury, who the HP department says could probably use, you know, some time off of his feet. Like, who's a good, who's a better offensive matchup, at, right? And who's a, a well, bad... I'll tell you who the better offensive matchup is going to be a catcher every <laughs> single day. It's, it's Alejandro Kirk. He's you, not cooling off. But you got some decent options, you though, do. right? Yeah, there's no more, there's not a Zach Collins in there where it's like really tough lefty. Oh, geez, right? Or, or triple A Zach Collins where it's like even capable righty. <laughs> yeah. So it, the Blue Jays stray away from that, but. Then again, every time Manoa's on the hill, Kirk's behind the plate. <laughs> so there, there clearly are, you know, tandems that they like. But and, he, and part of the adjustment with Barrios as well was how Kirk set up for him, right? Yes. When he kind of turned things around two starts ago, one hundred percent. And that's, I think, that's an adjustment that Marino could have executed. It wouldn't have even been an adjustment because he hasn't caught him before, right? right? So it would have just been the first time he's doing it. But part of it was, yeah, the catcher setup, which is a little different than what the Blue Jays typically do. Typically, mm-hmm. they want their catchers down the middle. That's right. where they want the setup. And with Brios, they're doing it a little bit differently, which is interesting. But it's clearly helping him get in the lanes that he needs to to tunnel his pitches effectively. So we'll see. I don't know that they're going to match Moreno up with anybody in particular. I think they're probably just going to manage the, the workload and the playing time and see where things fit. But... Every time Manoa pitches, it's a pretty good bet that Kirk's going to be behind the dish. Yeah, I think Barrios too, like as long as things are working as they are, but yeah. maybe maybe that changes. Um, so Moreno, I mean, look, no complaints about how he looked behind the plate. I, I'm not going to get in Gosman and Stripling's head and, and say, you know, what he did or didn't call well, but the results were there at least. Stripling with a great start, Gosman with a pretty decent one. Uh, he even threw a runner out at second. He did. Kind of. No, he did. It's on his. It's on his record. Yeah, it's it a cost stealing. CS, I doubled. Yeah. I double checked the the stats page today to make sure it didn't get changed after. There was no out on the play, but there was a caught stealing. Yeah, I, I love that the caught stealing and the error. Um, so Gabriel Moreno, I, I know it's been a term for a while, but when it comes to how he handles things behind the plate, he. When we have a baseball glossary down the line and pop times in there, this is the guy that is going to be like, hey, this is the guy that we had to create pop time for. Not create. I know it was a big JT Realmuto thing as well. Um, But and and I know I saw some tweets that like pop times a new term to people. We, We know a catcher's time down to second base is important. And we know that it's kind of a proxy for athleticism behind the plate. But just how big a weapon is this for Moreno in relative terms compared to, say, your average catcher? Well, so it, it is a new, like, stat that people kind of hate. <laughs> Something I learned this weekend as I was using <laughs> it regularly. But here's the thing. Stealing bases is math, man. And you talk to math, it's a base stealers about it. And they'll tell you that, that it's math. I'm just thinking, what's the pitcher's time to the plate? 
What's the catcher's pop time? What's my time from first to second with a good lead? Yeah. And then it's literally just like subtracting numbers. And, and then just, the math of, hey, what's this guy's th- uh, throwover move like? And can sure. I steal an extra six inches on my lead and stuff like that? It's it's all math. And that's the way that teams are looking at it. And that is why pop time is important. And pop time is the time from the pitch hitting the catcher's glove to the catcher's throw to second, hitting the second baseman or shortstop's glove, the middle infielder's glove. That is pop time. Gabriel Moreno on the throw to second to nab Victor Reyes. Didn't nab him, but was credited with the caught <laughs> stealing. 1.83 seconds. So for context, JT Real Muto is leading all MLB catchers this year in average pop time at 1.88. So Moreno was right there. And I don't know if that was just the best throw of his life. Like, we need to see him do it again. It was an amazing throw. And we have been hearing for a while now from people in the minors that, like, hey, this kid's not only got a cannon, but his transfer is quick. His pop times are elite. I had been hearing sub-two-second pop times in the minors, so that this certainly lines up with that. Um, I mean, there, there were only eight catchers at the MLB level this year who have had a lower pop time jt real Muto's done it a bunch hmm. and then there's just like your random like austin hedges had a really good throw <laughs> sort of deal so we'll see if like this is something moreno can do consistently if it is that's going to dissuade base stealers and the structure of economics in baseball dissuades base stealers in a pretty big way yeah. already we seen it come back a little bit this well, year yeah, as three as three true outcomes come back down which yeah. they have a little bit in terms of strikeouts walks and home runs then the math changes and the it's not even so much the value of a stolen base, but the cost of the out That's is it. the big factor there where you don't expect a team that hits as well as the Jays. Like the Jays have been by far the best offense in baseball since that May 24th date where things kind of turned around and maybe the ball's changed. We don't know. Um, but you wouldn't expect a lot of base stealing in that offensive environment because that cost of an out when you have Boba Shatter, Vladimir Guerrero, Teoscar Hernandez up at the plate or coming up soon is so extreme. Um, but yes, if you can tilt that, he threw out more than half the base runners he faced this year. If you can just erase that entirely, and I think it helps some pitchers too. It, maybe it doesn't affect a Gosman or Manoa as much because Manoa pitches out of the stretch all the time and Gosman's so quick between pitches. But a guy like Stripling who takes some time to think and, and wave things off, that neutralizing the the threat of stolen bases, it probably helps your pitcher out a little bit too. It doesn't hurt, right? And yeah. um, I think that it can help keep runners closer to bags as well if there's the risk of a back pick. And that's another thing where like you do the cost benefit analysis on it and it's like, yeah. ah, this is a great, you know. The it, once a season you get a guy, but it's such a good highlight. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, calculating the risk there and say, you, you you know, the ball slips, one of these cue balls the pitchers are complaining about yeah. and it sails into the outfield and that runner gets at least 90 feet, if not more. So it's just like, ah, geez, I don't know if that's worth it. It's the same thing with like stolen bases, right? You run the cost benefit analysis and it's like, is this extra base worth it when the guy at the plate might just go deep Anyway, and if I get thrown out, well, then now I've cost my team an out and I've cost that guy the plate a run. Uh, that's, you know, I remember talking to Malik Smith about it this spring when he was still with the organization. I was like, man, like, why? Yeah, I know you guys don't get paid for, you know, stolen bases anymore, but there's guys who can do it. Like, why do you think guys don't do it aside from the obvious? And he said, guys are scared. 
they're afraid. They don't want to make that out. They don't want to look foolish. Like they don't want that to reflect poorly on them. And when the benefit of it isn't getting you paid, when Billy Hamilton isn't the best paid player in this game, <laughs> right? When that guy is getting minor league deals and DFA'd every year, it's tough to it's tough to make that decision to run. But yeah, it, it, look, this is a, a very real tool for Moreno, clearly. Mm-hmm. And it works in concert with everything else he does athletically behind the plate, right? He's good at blocking balls. He's decent receivers, soft hands. He doesn't move a lot behind the plate. It's very quiet. It's one mm-hmm. thing I noticed. Like, it's not a lot of movement back there. He's a shortstop playing catcher. Came up as a middle infielder. Looks like a shortstop playing catcher. He moves really well. If you didn't come up as a shortstop, a center fielder, or a catcher, did you really come up at all <laughs> yeah, at any no. point, though? It's like, You're not look, at this level. Yeah, yeah, look at Spencer Torkelson. It's like, okay, well, there's no room for error if you don't hit because you're a big lumbering first baseman. Um, yeah, and, and the value, like the importance of the running game is maybe slept on a little bit to Jays fans this year and in recent years. The Jays don't attempt a lot of stolen bases. They've attempted 32 this year. And then the other top teams in the AL East – don't attempt a ton either for similar reasons, right? Like if you're, if you've got that power part of the Yankees lineup coming up, what are you doing risking an out yeah. at all? Um, they've stolen a lot more that, than the Blue Jays have, but the Red Sox have, have attempted fewer stolen bases. Um, there are some teams like the Texas Rangers have attempted twice as many stolen bases as the Jays. So there are some opponents this is uh, really going to matter for. Maybe not so much this weekend we'll, or this week. We'll see. Baltimore steal, steals a fair amount and obviously has a couple a couple guys who can run. But let's let's wrap up on Moreno here. Uh, the other side of things, he goes one for seven with a walk. Sees 26 pitches over eight plate appearances. Uh, only one swing and miss. 93% contact rate on the stuff he offered with. Uh, what did you see in his approach? And did you, you come away pretty encouraged about where he's at there? Well, obviously you saw him turn around Gregory Soto in the ninth on Saturday. So that mm-hmm. was impressive, right? Like, yeah, that's a, that's a tough... That's a tough one to turn around on. Inside outed 98, 99, right? Like, you know, the Soto was a little bit off right there. Like he didn't challenge Kevin Biggio in a spot where he really needed to challenge mm-hmm. Kevin Biggio and, and walked him to bring up George Springer. It's not what you want. Which is uh, mine. It's mind boggling given. I know Biggio has been really good since he came back up, but the splits of like what he does against everything other than hard fastballs yeah. and what he does against hard fastballs. Like how, when you're a guy like Soto, especially a lefty, I'd just be... I think Soto just couldn't put it where he wanted yeah, to, right? Like, there's no way one. he's trying to walk Kevin Digio there, <laughs> no, right? Like, I he know, he sees so. the numbers we see as well, and he's, yeah. it's been relayed to him. So I think he just couldn't put it where he wanted to. Do you to. look at the numbers if you're a lefty who throws 100 <laughs> and you're coming up against a lefty? I don't... I feel like they're, the only number I would need is the radar reading at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so that was interesting. And then I thought the uh, the walk against Scooble was actually mm-hmm. pretty... was well done, too, in his second trip on Sunday, like... Didn't get excited. Believe there was a runner on at the time, and he didn't like you know didn't get jumpy and it was like I want to drive in my first run and I want to contribute and do something here. Like was patient, laid off of crap. Scooble was doing such a nice job. I thought tunneling sliders and changeups, which is like a really uncomfortable thing. Like you're used to like fastballs and sliders, right? But for the Blue Jays and Moreno wouldn't apply here because he just came up. But like they've seen so little left-handed pitching this year, mm-hmm. least of any team in baseball. By far by a mile and in particular left-handed sliders like Bo Bichette comes into yesterday's game having seen 16 left-handed sliders all season Vlad had seen 17 I mean they just don't see that pitch let alone that arm Mm -hmm. so I thought that Scooble did such a nice job of just his first trip through that is like outside part of the plate to right-handed hitters tunneling sliders and change-ups 
And then the Blue Jays made the adjustment and they started laying off that and getting to those heaters inside. Vlad's home run, heater inside. Teoscar double down the line was heater inside. Lourdes, heater inside, right? Like that's, that was the adjustment that they made. And Gabriel Moreno just kind of followed in lockstep with that. He didn't get his heater inside, but he laid off of the stuff away and the stuff off the plate and drew his walk. So I thought that was a really interesting plate appearance and really interesting that he just fell into that approach and he understood that right away as a 22-year-old. Like that's kind of the beyond your years stuff that people talk about with a guy like him. And I think too, the the fact that he's such a competent two-strike hitter, yeah. especially we saw him a couple times fouling stuff off to just wait it out. And yeah, he struck out on one of those. But when you're a confident and competent two-strike hitter, I think it's a little easier for you to I mean it's never easy to lay off some of that stuff like the slider on the outer half like if you got to take that for for a strike that sucks yeah. but when you're pretty confident in your two strike approach you and don't mind giving one away if it, if it sets you up for something better and he has one he has a two strike yes. approach at the age of 22 is not something a lot of 22 year olds have you can see it in his mechanics which mm-hmm. change like the setup at the plate changes from two strikes to so from one strike to two strike like Bo Bichette's does yeah. it changes in a pretty demonstrative way if you if you really watch him mm-hmm. um and I think he does like hold the grip the bat a little bit differently too yeah, the so. bat speed is tremendous anyway which again yeah. speaks to the athleticism there but yeah the change in in kind of swing plane and how quick he's going to be to some of those fringe pitches when he has two strikes small MLB sample but you know I did go through some of the MILB TV stuff too to you know see what everyone's talking about with the with the approach there and yeah he's a guy I don't think he's going to get too too worried down two strikes and one strikeout over those two games you'll you'll live with one strikeout and eight plate appearances for a rookie absolutely I can't wait for the day that we have a bat speed metric oh. publicly available which we don't right now and I know teams have it and I think it's I mean a little... if we can have pop time and <laughs> spin rate like if you can get the spin rate down to oh well Elvin Rodriguez is has the same fastball as Kyle Bradish but Kyle Bradish has like 40 more revolutions yeah. per minute on something that takes half a second to get to the plate I think we can get bat speed we I we should and I need to ask somebody actually why not I would imagine there's inconsistencies in the measurement mm-hmm. but like and they just don't feel confident enough in it to make it public yet but I know teams have it because then we could say like, look, this is why guys like Bichette and Moreno can have that two strike approach. Cause like not every hitter can do that. Right. You need a lot of bat speed. Yeah. Like, and your plate coverage can be, you know, your, your selectivity. It can be your swing plane or how long you keep the barrel through the zone and things like that. But when it comes to that ability and Springer's really good at this too, to, of just fouling off stuff to yeah. wait out a pitcher mistake, that bat speed's a huge component of it. Cause you have to make those decisions at the, like we're talking about, when you get the two strikes, those decisions you're making are fringier and fringier because he can't leave something that catches an edge. Um, you know, exactly. again, he did once, but whatever. It's one strikeout. It's Major League Baseball in 2022. If you only strike out once in your first weekend in the majors, you're way <laughs> ahead of the game. Well, and I think that if we did have those bat speed numbers, Bo Bichette's name would be very near the top of that list. And I would be interested to see where Moreno falls. I'm sure he'd be above average, but like just speaking to players anecdotally, they're like, Bo Bichette's got back speed, like, unlike I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to be able to put a number on it and measure it against the rest of the league because that's why you can foul off so many different pitches with two strikes. And it's a little it's a little curious that Bo has been better against off-speed and breaking stuff than he has against the, the really hard stuff. I know he's not bad against really hard. Every Blue Jay seems to hit 95 miles an hour pretty well right now. They're, mm-hmm. I think they're a top-five team by kind of expected outcomes from StatCast against the hardest fastballs in the league. Um, but yeah, Bo doing a lot more damage on the off speed stuff, but maybe that's because if you, you guess on that stuff, 
and you guess right, you can pull it. And if you're late, you've got the bat speed to still make contact with the fastball or poke it the other way or something. Yeah, I think bat speed can work both ways too. It's like bat manipulation. Like mm-hmm. he can pull back on it a little right. bit too. Right? That that's kind of the talent that he has. Like he's able to. He sees pitches really early. I think Bo. Like sometimes he'll hit balls where it looks like he's like, oh, you're like he was sitting on a slider clearly because he demolished that slider. Yeah, the Hunter the Green camp. one stands out. So the Hunter Green one, and I go and I ask him about it the next day, and he's swearing to me that he's not sitting on the slider, right? So I maybe, look, maybe he's just saying that because he knows I'm going to come on the Blake Murphy show and say it, right, <laughs> and tell the league. But he's like he swears he does not sit on those pitches. He's just reacting. Now that's his, he's, he's good enough to react to those pitches. That's a... Uh... I mean, look, the thing with him, too, is like the everyone talks about the legendary work ethic and the first one in the the park and everything. I'm sure there's at least a little bit of priming. Like, even if you don't go up there sitting slider, you go up there primed with the knowledge that Hunter Green throws 100 and he's going to throw a slider off of that. So maybe it's maybe it's a less conscious process. The other sneaky thing is Bobachet swing at like more than half the first pitches he sees on the season. <laughs> so, so Hunter Green's thinking, this guy attacks first pitch all the time. Why would I give him a first pitch fastball? Obviously, I'm going to go off speed first yeah. pitch because he's going to be swinging. Bobachette has now forced Hunter Green into throwing a first pitch slider. Bobachette now knows pretty good chance I'm going to get a slider there yeah. because of my approach. Yeah, I love Sneaky. this kind of, uh, you know, game theory level yeah. stuff with the pitcher hitter. And it's the same, you know, one of the explanations for Gosman's rough two starts was just you throw a lot of splitters and they're down in zone and the fastball's up and maybe guys are just guessing better because you're talking like a 60-30-10 split and the mm-hmm. locations give a little bit away. So if you're, you know, your tunneling goes off just even a little bit or even just as an approach, like the, the Twins might have just been like, no, nah, we're not swinging at anything low. We'll just beat it in the ground anyway. Against the Twins, he had the biggest discrepancy between the average height of his fastball and the average depth of his splitter. So it would have been really easy to have that approach. He had, It was the highest average fastball height and the third lowest splitter depth, but the biggest discrepancy. So it would have been easy to see if it's up and everything up was fastballs and everything down was splitters and the splitters were not landing in the zone. And they were clearly in no swing mode with two strikes on anything down. I think they swung at two of 10 two strike pitches that were down in the zone. Um, Let's give Gabriel Moreno a little bit of the credit for Gosman having a better one. uh, Fastballs down, man. He he was getting the fastball down. I thought that was big for him. And he looks good. I mean, with the framing stats, two games is not going to be enough sample, but baseball prospectus does have some minor league attempts at that stuff. Moreno came out above average there. I thought he looked good with the stuff down in the zone uh, over the weekend. Let's take a break. Let's talk about another guy who had a really good weekend. When we come back, Ross Stripling has thrown 11 shutout innings over his two starts. We're also going to talk about some of the bullpen names. You've got some pieces coming on a key, a few key names back there, or one key name and one name that might be a key name back in the Buffalo bullpen soon. Uh, we'll talk about that as Arden Zwelling stays with us after the break on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports F 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, joined still by Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet.ca and the At The Letters podcast. Little Florida man coming in because the Florida man's on the hill tonight. Alec Manoa starting against Kyle Bradish. We were talking a lot about Gabriel Moreno before the break. He gets a day off. Alejandro Kirk catching and hitting fourth to catch Manoa. Rymel Tapia draws in 
per day in left field uh, as Lourdes Gurriel shifts to the DH spot for the day. Chapman in? No Matt Chapman. Yeah, wrist. No Matt Chapman once again. As a, I didn't think that, like, you know, getting off a road trip and taking a flight home <laughs> was going to help the they recovery. Fly? Did they fly uh, from the train? I imagine we, so. We know Charlie Montoyo drove. How do we know that? Caitlin McGrath was next to him in the oh. line at the border and posted a photo of Charlie waving to her. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, I assume that the they flew, but maybe some people had the option to drive. But yeah. who knows? Maybe they all drove because you don't have to test. I don't yeah. know how many big leaguers that, want that, to make that four-hour journey. That's gone now on the way into the U.S. at least. You don't have to test on your way in anymore. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that did just change so, on it Sunday, did just didn't change. it? I know this because I'm going to Chicago oh. next weekend. This also impacts myself going forward as somebody travels to the United States regularly. Interesting. Yeah. Still got to right. do your arrive can on the way back. Thanks, but... Brandon. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Manoa on the hill. Moreno gets a day off. Chapman's still out. We'll go through the lineup in more detail a little later, look at the Orioles side of things with Paul Mancano. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll do our usual, you know, around 445, we'll tee up tonight's matchup and, and look into Kyle Bradish a little bit more and who's going to tee off on him and who's just going to get one hit for a single and uh, not, not optimistic that Kyle Bradish is going to have a great night, a great afternoon Sunday for Ross Stripling. Six shutout. The Jays as a team, face only 28 batters to get through the game. Almost a one up, one down all the way through. Stripling's now at 11 shutout innings since re-entering the rotation. And he's only walked eight guys in 43 innings this year. That is, he he had a walk rate around that level when he was at his very peak with the Dodgers. Uh, he was striking out more guys at that point too. But what has gone into Ross Stripling now being this control master rather than just an okay command guy? He's just throwing everything for strikes. I think he's really confident in his delivery. He was going through a, a bunch of little delivery tweaks and changes last year, partly because he wasn't pitching well, partly because maybe he was tipping, maybe he wasn't. I don't want to say anything. But, yeah, he went through a lot of stuff last year just in, just in tweaking things. And I think now he's just really confident in his delivery on the mound. He's like, you kind of see him... Walk, you know, he he gets the ball back from his catcher and he kind of walks backwards from the catcher <laughs> and gets the pitch calm in his ear. And then he has the pitch as he steps forward and he's just straight into his delivery, right? Mm -hmm. So he's got a nice rhythm, a nice tempo there. And look, he's really upgraded this changeup in a big way. It's a weapon for him this big year time. in a much more meaningful way than it has been in the past. And I think he's a lot more confident throwing it right now. It's been very, a very effective pitch for him, which now it's like, okay, now I can go four-seamer up, curveball down, slider to the right, change up fitting left, oh, and like a 90-mile-an-hour sinker that I'll just like duck under your your barrel a little bit. If he's throwing all five of those for strikes to righties and lefties, all different quadrants of the zone, you can turn over a lineup two times, which is all the, the Blue Jays are really asking him to do. Yeah, and, you know, the last two opponents that Stripling's faced – we talked about it when he was entering the rotation. Pretty soft landing spot to go Kansas City and Detroit back-to-back. -back. Who's he going next? <laughs> the Yankees. <laughs> How's that going to go? Uh, I don't know. Well, we'll see because you can you can dig into this stuff. And the changeup has been really effective. The slider has been really effective. No one's hitting the slider or the changeup for power at all. Like um, his slider, opposing batters have a 278 batting average against it. Not one extra base hit. Wow. On the year. And then the changeup, they're only, they, they get the odd extra base hit, but they're only hitting 150 on it. So 
Good luck. He throws um, the slider a decent amount, too. It's not like it's a rarely used No, pitch. he does. He throws it almost a quarter of the time. He throws yeah. a change up a little over a quarter of the time, which is good because those are his, you know, you're using your two best pitches half the time uh, because the fastball is the question mark here about the sustainability or the ability to get t- through the lineup twice. It's coming in around 92, sometimes 93. Um, opposing hitters are hitting it pretty well. The, the results have actually been okay so far, but when you look into some of the expected results based on the, the batted ball profile, the fastball hasn't been great. Is there concern level for you that like the margin for error here with the changeup and slider is thin because the fastball doesn't play to league average. His answer to that has been throw it less often. Sure. Right? <laughs> you know, flip up first pitch curve balls. Like that's part of what makes the fastball a little bit more effective than it should be and makes it play better in the zone than it should. And 91, 92 is the unpredictability and the sequencing, right? Like there's no, there's no patterns with Ross Stripling. It's different. If you're standing in for your first pitch against Ross Stripling, you could get anything, yeah. right? Lefty or righty. You might get a heater you might get a two-seamer you might get a changeup. you might get a slider you might he'll drop a curveball in for a strike and his curveball is like one of those big breaking ones that it's like tough to time up first pitch of a plate appearance and he'll just pick a corner with it the curveball really hasn't been much of a strike to ball weapon for him this mm-hmm. year which is the one interesting thing i think that's why the changeup has been more effective because he's had to use it more as like an out pitch and mm-hmm. as a get some chase pitch because he really hasn't had the curveball in that fashion but he does have the curveball as like not only a first pitch, but like a two-one pitch. Right? Yeah. Like how many guys are throwing two-one, three-one curveballs for strikes? I mean, we we're seeing it a little bit more with the slider. You know, Saris had a good piece at the Athletic a couple weeks ago, and we had him on to talk about it. That like guys can control the slider almost as well as the fastball. The guys who throw the slider a lot. So maybe that's stripling with with the curve, or maybe it's just you know in fastball counts. If you don't have a good fastball what's the point of throwing a fastball just to get a strike that might get tattooed when, you know, a walks better than, than getting something hit hard. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you, do you think Stripling could get confident enough with the sinker to start throwing that more in place of the fastball? Or is that still going to be just kind of a show me thing once in a while? Because he barely threw it at all last year. He wants it to be a surprise. Okay. Like he wants it to be like a pitch that hitters are almost like, oh, I forgot he had that. Yeah. Right? And you roll over it and yeah. <sighs> right. He's got that too. Because it, it does, it, it's not a great sinker. Um, it doesn't move a ton. It's obviously it's like 90 or 89. Like it's not, you know, an overpowering pitch, but it should get weak contact when a hitter's not expecting it. It's, it's really just designed to move off the barrel. It's not even really designed to miss the bat. Mm-hmm. Move off the barrel, right? Just yeah, roll get a, over it. a weak part of the bat. So that's the plan with it. Um, I know he likes sinker change up as uh, you know pairing those together trying to tunnel those together so hitters will start picking up on that eventually. The really big question for me man like we were saying with the Yankees coming in so Ross Tripling's starting to get stretched out now, right? He's getting some run in the rotation. Pitch yeah, 75 count, pitches. Pitch count's getting up, right? But we saw earlier this season when he was stretched out and he was making regular starts, it was still 18 batters and gone, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's like pull the shoot no matter how well you're pitching. Like the Blue Jays really told us something about the level of trust they have in Ross Tripling facing a lineup a third time. This weekend against the Yankees, is that trust going to be there? with how well he is pitching. When Aaron Judge comes back up, Aaron Judge, Yankees leadoff hitter, Aaron Judge having yeah. like the best Gonna bet on... George Springer's record in one half season as a leadoff guy. Right? Talk about a bet on yourself season. Oh my goodness, Aaron Judge. Is, are you going to let 
Ross Stripling see Aaron Judge a third time if it's going well. And there's a little bit of chicken or the egg thing there because is Stripling having so much success because you're protecting him from the most difficult parts or the parts where he'd struggle, or is he pitching well enough to dictate that you give him a shot? Mm -hmm. Because, hey, if Stripling can go two and a half times through the order sometimes, at least against lesser teams, that's really valuable to you. In this case, especially because this is your last weekend with the expanded bullpen, unless the MLB, unless baseball extends that June 20th cutoff, I would suspect this is one more time where he's getting it twice through the order. I made this point on at the letters recently where, um, so if, if Ross Stripling wasn't drafted by the Dodgers, really great organization with deep, deep pitching staffs and starters, say trade to the Blue Jays, same thing, really deep starting staff. So he's had to pitch out of the bullpen, right? If he was drafted by like the Reds or the Orioles or the Angels, and he was easily like a back end starter on those clubs. And he had gone the last five, six years logging 150 innings, 30 starts a year, league average ERA, one and a half, two win guy. He has made way more money in arbitration because he's putting up way better accounting stats, doing things at arbitration rewards. And he is looking this coming off season at like the Alex Cobb deal that he got with Baltimore, which was like four years, 55 mil. Instead, like Ross Stripling is the swing man who, you know, like is not going to be able to leverage for that type of payday and has been paid less. Over recent yeah, years, three point co- eight million this year has cost himself. Well, it hasn't cost himself. He has been cost money through arbitration by the teams that control his usage, right? Mm-hmm. And he, like, he had no say in going to the Dodgers and to the Blue Jays. It was totally out of his control. Two teams with really deep pitching staffs, but he went to a pitching hungry team that isn't in the playoffs all the time and isn't a super competitive club. He's a totally serviceable, like, two win back end starter who's looking at a much better payday this yeah. offseason and already has more money in the bank that he can, you know, put into crypto or whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah, the the investments there. That's why he's got to do it. This is also why he joined the, the why he's the players rep in the union. He's right. like, I got to nudge these rules to help me <laughs> yeah. make some more money. Uh, he's also 32. So like his prime, even if you thought that Stripling could be a, a back-end starter for you, you know, he's... Like, is his upside contract looking at kind of the Scott Feldman Houston, like, we need someone to eat innings until our prospects are ready? What did Brad Peacock get in free agency is, like, the question, right? Like, because that's kind of who we, that was uh, Strip's um, comp in ARB this mm-hmm. past offseason was Brad Peacock, right? Because the numbers lined up and swing man, like, kind of, you know, fluctuated between starting and relieving was decent. And but not, and not a great comp to hang on to because he's now on, I think, a minor league deal with a major league option. He did his first trip through, like, when he hit free agency, he didn't get a big league deal? Oh, he yeah. did. He would have then, yeah. yes. But so I, what was sorry, the I big mean, league deal then? I mean, now. Uh, right? That's the question. Like, yeah. Because that's the kind of guy. That would be the comp. There's not that many comps for guys like Stripling because there's not that many really capable sixth starter swingman types like Strip, right? Like no. He's pretty rare. Um, and I hate saying the word commodity. He's a pretty rare player, pretty rare human being in this sport yeah. is the way we should, that's the verbiage we should use. Um, there's just not a lot of guys like him who are not only like capable of, you know, oscillating between starting and relieving and pitching as effectively as he has, but who also buy into that role 
and don't bitch about it. And yeah. like just put their ego aside it's and a do it for the team. We spoke to him on the fan morning show during the offseason about just that. And and at that point we were framing this was pre Kikuchi. So we were framing it as a Nate Pearson thing, right? Like how do you help this guy along? Oh, how things have changed. Yeah. <laughs> how do you help this guy along when ostensibly you're competing for the fifth rotation spot? And he said, Yeah, after this long, you know what I like better than starting or relieving? Winning. It's like, yeah, you're I hope those investments are coming through, though. Uh, so I mentioned that June 20th is, as far as we know, the last day for the Jays to carry this extra pitcher. You look ahead to the Yankees. You might want an extra lefty around the bullpen for that series. Matt Gage, mm. sticking around for the for the week. I know, I know you got something coming on him. Hey, it came out today. Oh, so it's out I'm already. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it came out. I needed him to make it through the weekend, and he did. So <laughs> my piece on Matt Gage made it out today. So now whatever happens is gravy. He's an interesting guy, man. 29-year-old rookie. He's one of these, like, uh, guys that the model, like, identifies. Like, mm. every offseason, the Jays run every minor league free agent through their model based on the characteristics, the pitch types, approach angles, all that stuff, what plays and what parts of the zone. And their model churned him out and on this big list of guys, right? And so that big mm. list gets churned out by the computer, gets separated out to a bunch of analysts with the Jays, and then they go and dive into it and see if there's something there. And then everybody comes back into a big meeting with the entire front office and makes their case if there is something there. And there was something there with Matt Gage, who, like, coming off of last year, minor league free agent at AAA, had, like, a you know, really inflated ERA, not super impressive peripherals. But the day free agency opened... Five teams called. Mm. And two days after that, three contract offers from contending clubs, including the Blue Jays. So there are clearly teams out there with models that say yes. what Matt Gage does is can be useful and there's there are ways to get him better as well. That tells you one of two things. Matt Gage has something or all the models are too <laughs> homogenous. Yeah. We're, we're all looking at the same wrong stuff. But no, it's a, it's a, it's a fun story. Um, we're running out of time here. So just quickly, I know you have something coming on Jordan Romano this week as well. Yeah. We haven't seen a ton of Jordan Romano of late, but what are you seeing that, that stands out to you so interesting with him? Because he's been doing work behind the scenes. He's been mm. making some mechanical adjustments. Blue Jays found something in his delivery that they think was sapping that one to two miles an hour velocity that he lost over the offseason mm -hmm. when he had knee surgery. And you thought, yeah, maybe it was a knee surgery. You know, maybe he's being overused. Uh, it turns out he wasn't doing what uh, Blue Jays pitching coaches would call staying stacked long enough. Okay. So keeping that back leg stiff and your torso high and upright. So he was kind of hunching a little bit at the waist and bending his back leg a little bit. The movement was just a little bit inefficient, not quite as um, athletic as he needs it to be. And the Blue Jays think that's where that one mile an hour went. Like, that's hmm. what happened. So they've gotten him now, and this should be out tomorrow, and I'll, I'll break it all down, like where, you know, he's just more upright, stiffer back leg, more directional to the plate, more efficient movement, and he's is tapping into more velo through his hardest pitch of the season after making that adjustment when mm. he pitched in Kansas City. And he was up to 98 as well over the weekend. So looks like he found it. But and but obviously the rest helps too, right? Like he didn't yes. pitch for a week. Yeah. I think that also is helping. Not pitching three days in a row in Los Angeles. Yeah, that, that's helping. It probably doesn't hurt. Although once you go like four or five days, I do wonder if there's like a toll the other way where, you know, I, I think most relievers, the the talking line is usually every second day yeah. is what I would like. Give me a rest day. Give rest me a versus rest. Pitch day. Yeah. Well, what Romano will do is if he's down for three days, he'll actually throw a 15 pitch bullpen. Okay. Like after a game, post game, just to like get some throws. Just to in. make, yeah. Cause you know, you just count that as your pitching day then. 15 and pitches, touch and feel just to get off a mound, get the heart rate up, 
get everything in sync. Now, do they, to get the heart rate up and everything, will they play the light show while he does the bullpen <laughs> I'm session? I'm not aware of that. Roger Center? <laughs> I don't know that he does his little saunter in and does all the breathing exercises and everything. Yeah, he's got to. Um, Alec Manoa on the hill tonight. This is probably worth a deeper dive, but quickly. Yep. He has gone from, not gone from, it's not a huge change, but he's missing a few fewer bats, striking out a few fewer guys and has been a much more efficient version of Alec Manoa this year in terms of getting deeper into games, making sure you give six, maybe even seven. Uh, the one game, you know, he could have gone nine maybe. Is this an intentional thing or is this the results he's getting are the results he's getting and he's just kind of rolling with it? I think you got you to gotta manage Manoa's workload here, right? Because there mm -hmm. isn't that basis of workload coming in. Like he threw a bunch of innings in college and that helps, but the years prior to the big league debut, like, look, they were interrupted by yeah. a pandemic, right? By like a lot of different things. So, um, you know, I think you want to be mindful of the workload and the Blue Jays have a lot of ways to measure that other than just innings, right? Not all yeah. innings are created equal. Not yes. all pitches are Fatigue equal. units and yeah, all that stuff. No, the like the high performance department has a number of ways of managing that stuff. Stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's tough to send Alec Manoa out for a ninth inning when he's already got yeah. 85, 90 pitches. Um, but like the biggest thing for him that I'm watching going forward, honestly, is just what are you doing against lefties? Mm -hmm. Right. Like how it's are you? It's a big split still. How are you getting lefties out? I thought he threw some really good sinkers to lefties his last time out. I think that can be a really good weapon for him if he's using it effectively, if he's using it in against uh against left-handed hitters i think that's a really good pitch for him it's tough because then you risk you run the risk of leaving it over the plate so you got to be careful but i think that's a big pitch for him you do we don't have an orioles lineup yet for tonight um but he could and probably will see a handful of lefties cedric mullins will lead off almost for sure anthony santander and adley rutschman uh switch hitters through the bottom of the order maybe even some rignet odor arden's welling Thanks so much for taking the hour with us, man. Really enjoyed Anytime. having you in. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm going to try to read that Matt Gage piece during a break here. We didn't talk about deadlifts or IPAs once, man. How no. did this happen? Look at the, look at your arms <laughs> compared to mine right now. I'm not on even footing. I, uh, I'm trying to catch up on the baseball side to, to talk evenly with baseball with you but i'm more qualified to talk about that stuff than about baseball to be honest yeah with you. <laughs> i'm not qualified to talk to you about the workout stuff recently uh, as you sip a coffee mug that i'm 80 percent sure is a protein shake no it's a real coffee okay. black coffee in there yeah <laughs> uh all right thanks so much for taking the time uh guys make sure you check out all arden's great work at sportsnet.ca matt gage feature up right now jordan romano a little later in the week uh, at the letters podcast as well we're gonna take a break when we come back we're gonna hit the orioles side of this week we're gonna get we're gonna talk to noted process truster both the 76ers and the orioles process paul mancano that's next on jstock plus on sports at 590 the fan great daily gambling advice from jd blake and alish in the fan morning shows wake and rake subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, thank you to Arden Zwelling for sticking around for an hour with us. Matt Gage feature up now on sportsnet.ca. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's Talk Plus rolls on this hour ahead of Jay's Orioles tonight. 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner has the call for you on the Sportsnet radio network. The Jays are about to play four with the Orioles to help us get a look at the Orioles side. We, I felt a little bad last week 
we had my three on to talk about the Tiger side of things, and it's just it's bleak. We had Dan Zaborski on to talk about the Royals side of things, and it's bleak. Paul Mancano is going to help us talk about the Orioles side of things. Less bleak. They're not great, but things are trending in the right direction, maybe. He's the head of social and digital at MASN. He's the host of Mass and All Access. Paul Mancano, how are you, man? Good, Blake. Thanks so much for having me. Less than bleak is a good way to describe things currently going for the Baltimore Orioles. Hey, less than bleak is... That's a big upgrade <laughs> off of where things were the last yeah. little bit. I, I know you have process truster in your Twitter bio. What lessons have you taken from the 76ers side of things as you <laughs> kind of have to keep the faith in the Orioles over a multi-year rebuild? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I grew up uh, outside of Philly, so I, I grew up on uh, a diehard Philly sports fan, unfortunately. So, Yes, uh, the Sixers comparison, I think, is is a pretty apt one. Now, uh, you know, the Sixers obviously haven't been able to make it to the other side of this rebuild, but the idea and the thought process is there for the Orioles because it's been a multi-year rebuild for the Orioles as they have, uh, you know, generally amassed high draft picks. They've cut salary across the board for several years, and now they are starting to kind of see the fruits of what has been a long process to get them there. And it's starting to show up, and it showed up this past weekend when they were in Kansas City. Games that they were not used to being in, or at least not used to winning, they are in almost every single game this year for the first couple months, and they are beating good teams in games that they probably shouldn't. So, Orioles fans are starting to get excited as they're seeing the fruits of this thing uh, come to bear. Poor Jays fans. Uh, the whole first part of the season, it's, well, the Yankees and Rays have had an easier schedule. The Jays haven't played the Orioles yet. Um, they're going to play the AL Central. They go 8-4 and four against the AL Central this past two weeks and lose ground on the Yankees. And now they're getting an Orioles team as some of this stuff is starting to click and so it's starting to fall into place at even the major league level. Um, you know, not a playoff threat yet, but things are trending in the right direction. This is the number one farm system in baseball. Five of their top 10 are at AAA and two more are in the majors. Is the excitement level ratcheting up that this is, you know, the, the turning of the corner is close now? Absolutely. Because Adley Rutschman is up at the big league level. That was of course going to be, the biggest debut for the Orioles so far. And even though he's not playing phenomenally, he just had a three-hit game over the weekend. So you're starting to see him click. You have Kyle Bradish, who you mentioned, uh, who's pitching tonight, who's also in their top ten, uh, who has shown promise. Again, stats are not phenomenal, but he's getting there. They just added Kyle Stowers to their taxi squad, an exciting 24-year-old outfielder who could play at some point this week. So you're starting to see these guys debut. And Grayson Rodriguez, who's their top pitching prospect, unfortunately suffered a lat injury. So he's probably not going to make his big league debut this year. But you have other guys. You have D.L. Hall, who's another exciting pitching prospect. He may make his debut. So all of these guys are starting to come up at different points. They're being staggered a little bit. But the team is winning just a few more games than they have been in previous seasons, even without some of their top prospects performing at a high level so it's an exciting time right now even though you know they're obviously not in the thick of the AL East race uh just a, a little bit of news coming down here on this weekend series uh Anthony Santander and Keegan Aiken uh two of the players going on the restricted list for 
Baltimore. Uh, so it looks like, may, hey, maybe some of those debuts are, are coming even sooner uh, as replacement players come in for, for the restricted list there. Uh, we're talking to Paul Mancano of Masson. Um, with the Orioles kind of moving, you know, I always think of for baseball teams, it's it's a rebuild. And then before you're competitive, there's this stage of you're annoying. It's rebuild. And then you're an <laughs> annoying team that can beat good teams and make things harder than they need to be. And then you're good. But what I'm unclear on is as the Orioles enter annoying phase here, um, are they done being one of those teams that is selling pieces at the deadline? Or are we looking at one more year of you could pry an Orioles reliever away or uh, a bat somewhere if they don't fit the timeline? Given what we've seen from Michael Elias over the last couple of years, I'd say that most likely they're going to be sellers at the deadline, but they don't have quite the big pieces that are going to be on the market. There may be some veterans like an Anthony Santander, who you mentioned, uh, maybe Trey Mancini, whose name has been floated out simply because he's on the last year of his contract. So they may have some veterans available for trade at some point over the next month and a half, but this is probably going to be the last or one of the last years that they are in seller mode at the deadline. And it honestly benefit from selling some of the veterans simply because they have so many guys who are on the cusp of the big leagues that they want to see, like Kyle Stowers, if they were to trade in Anthony Santander, that would open up an, a spot in the outfield that could be occupied by a Kyle Stowers or one of their other exciting outfield prospects. So even though they might be selling, it's not an indication of they're getting further into this rebuild. It's simply because they've got some really exciting prospects that they want to give playing time to, and so they're going to prioritize that over some of the veterans who are on expiring deals. And then maybe you're looking at prospects who are nearer to the majors too, instead of the, the longer away yeah. high upside guys. Uh, I don't know. Personally, I think Cedric Mullins should be made available and he should be made available for cheap to a division rival. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he should just stay back here uh, after this weekend. Obviously, um, <laughs> you know, teams are, teams are going to, hover like that and circle to see if anything shakes loose. Um, you mentioned a handful of guys who are either up or on their way up. Adley Rutschman, obviously the big one, number one pick to the majors in under three calendar years, despite the pandemic. Did we, did we learn our lesson with the Matt Weeders facts or is Adley Rutschman like, like, is he already on the Mount Rushmore for Orioles fans right now? <laughs> it's, it's an apt comparison and I certainly understand it because, both of these guys were highly touted switch hitting catchers who had a hype machine that far uh, exceeded kind of what we can expect from them and what we should realistically expect from them, at least in their rookie year. I mean, being a, a rookie catcher is especially difficult yes. considering how demanding the position is behind the plate. And people forget that Matt Weeders, though he did not live up to the hype, he did have a pretty good career for the Orioles and then with Washington and St. Louis. So, he racked up, I believe, four goal, four all-stars and a couple gold gloves. So even though he didn't quite reach the pinnacle that some expected from him, uh, you know, he did end up having a pretty good career. However, for Adley Rutschman, the expectations might be even higher because he was such a productive college player, won the College World Series Most Valuable Player when they won when he was just a sophomore. He was walked with the bases loaded in the game. So he was incredibly hyped coming up. And Though he has not gotten off to a great start, I think it's it's safe to give him a little bit more time considering what is being asked of him defensively because the offense and the bat will turn around at some point. Of course, you can't put him in the pantheon yet for Orioles catchers or Orioles players 
However, he's, his ceiling remains incredibly high. Um, it's his makeup. It's the way he carries himself off the field and the way he has been a leader every stop of his professional career, his collegiate career before that, that makes him such an exciting young player. Yeah, pretty pretty legendary stories about, um, you know, his kind of clubhouse presence and the way he, you know, the competitiveness and the leadership, a part of that. And sometimes that hyper competitiveness can go the wrong way as you elevate, but it certainly sounds like the returns are, are really good as he's come through the minors in the Orioles system. Um, he's sitting 179 so far, 257 OBP, 269 slugging. Uh, like you mentioned though, multi-hit game over the weekend. And the big thing, on him, and this was the case with Weeders too, is even if the bat, say the bat ends up average for the position, the defense is so advanced or projects is so advanced. Um, what have you liked from him behind the plate? And are these Orioles pitchers liking Rutschman as much as the, the prospect scouts? Yeah, he has gotten to work with what has been a pretty young staff. This team lost John Means near the beginning of the season. Uh, as he underwent Tommy John surgery. So he's done for the year. He was pretty much the anchor of that rotation. And then he had Jordan Lyles, who was a veteran free agent addition. Other than that, it's a very young staff right now. Um, you know, Kyle Bradish is going to pitch this week. We're going to see some youngsters debut over the course of the season. And it's been so far so good. It's kind of tough to evaluate, I think, considering the small sample size, exactly how much of an effect Adley is having behind the plate working with these pitchers, but what you can do is talk to the players who are throwing to him, a lot of the pitchers who are throwing to him, and glean just the kind of work that he does. One thing that he did in college, he carried it over into his minor league career, and he's carried it over so far into the big leagues. If you notice, after every half inning where he is behind the plate, he will jog out and meet the catcher, or meet the pitcher rather, in between, uh, you know, the where they are meeting on the mound and the dugout to have a little chat before they get into the dugout about how each pitch, how each inning went. And that's something that he has carried with him. Some people weren't sure if he was going to do that, but that's just an example of the kind of leadership that he has. He's always looking to improve himself and he's always looking to improve the pitchers that he is catching. You mentioned Kyle Bradish. He gets the ball uh, tonight. The results haven't been great yet, but this is another top 10 prospect who who's gotten to the majors uh, pretty quickly his fastball's been hit pretty hard but some of the secondary stuff is, is impressive uh, what can you tell us about where Kyle Bradish is kind of in his learning to pitch uh, developmental year yeah I think developmental year is a good way to put this because he has looked spectacular at times we saw his best start of his young career came out in LA when he faced the Angels and uh, he had more than 10 strikeouts. He was mowing guys down. He gave up an inside-the-park home run at one point and then settled things down and did not allow an earned run after that. So you see the highs, and then you see the lows. And those lows have come when the fastball has gotten hit hard, like you said, when he's probably trying to pitch backwards when he maybe shouldn't be. He's got incredible secondary stuff, but it is learning to harness that both command-wise and learning when to throw it. So not having a, a you know kind of veteran in the rotation like a John Means certainly hurts. I think the more presence that you have from veteran pitchers who can work with a young guy like Kyle Bradish and help him develop during this year would help. But I think that the stuff is intriguing, the profile is intriguing for Kyle Bradish, and you're going to get some clunkers every now and again, like you will with just about every rookie starting pitcher across Major League Baseball. But so long as you see continued development, and the exciting thing is they brought him up so early, that 
maybe by the end of September, we start to see him develop a lot more as a starting pitcher. It's not hard to envision a guy that has a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and the prospect pedigree he has uh, figuring it out. And again, it's been a quick path to the majors for Kyle Bradish, for Adley Rutschman, and five more of the organization's top 10 prospects at AAA waiting for an opportunity or knocking on the door. Exciting time for the Orioles. Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for giving us the the look inside uh, what it's like to be an Orioles fan right now. Keep up the great work at Masson on uh, All Access and on their social channels. Thanks so much, Blake. I appreciate it. Paul Mancano, head of social and digital at Masson, host of Masson All Access. I had a trivia question ready for him, a little remember some guys or a little Jay's Orioles history. I decided not to do it. I, I thought maybe I was a little too harsh on the Orioles setup coming in. And I thought about mentioning, too, he's a Sixers fan. Uh, today is the anniversary of the Raptors winning the championship. Not a, Already not a great day for a Sixers fan. The trivia question I was going to ask him, I'll throw it to you guys. You can, you can hit us in the text line at 590-590 if you want. What I was going to ask him, because, again, it's Jay's Orioles, and I have a very fond memory of in the 2016 wildcard game, sitting down the first baseline pretty far enough that I had a view into the Orioles bullpen and six different pitchers came in after Chris Tillman's start while Zach Britton sat there, stood up, walked around, sat there, stood up, loosened up, sat there. He looked as frustrated as I probably looked excited as each subsequent name came out of uh, the bullpen that wasn't Zach Britton. Uh, So the trivia question I was going to ask Paul was, can you name the six relievers that came out for Chris Tillman who were not Zach Britton in that 2016 wildcard game? This is not a great trivia thing because you could just look it up and text it in or tweet it at me at Blake Murphy ODC. Uh, You could text 59590. Keep your questions coming too. Um, It's it's not a great trivia question and we're not giving anything away. We are going to give something away in the next block, we're going to be joined by Cadence Weapon, also known as Raleigh Pemberton. Uh, he has an excellent book out called Bedroom Rapper, uh, and he's become a bigger and bigger Jays fan as this core has reached the majors and kind of built the vibes together. Before we do that, the Toronto Blue Jays have a lineup for today. It does not include Matt Chapman, the beat reporters down at Rogers Center providing us with the update that Matt Chapman is not in the lineup. He's still day-to-day with that sore right wrist, but he's going to take batting practice today to see how it feels, to see if he may be available uh, off the bench tonight. That comes via Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Thank you to Caitlin for that update. Your lineup without Matt Chapman then goes as follows. George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk catching Alec Manoa as he usually does and hitting cleanup. Teoscar Hernandez stays in the five spot. Charlie Montoyo liking that Kirk Hernandez 4-5 look. Santiago Espinal fills in at third for Matt Chapman and hits six. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. gets a DH day. Rymel Tapia in left field. And Kevin Biggio rounds it out, hitting ninth, playing second. So the two lefties in the lineup go 8-9. Gabriel Moreno not in the lineup after catching the last two days. That makes sense. We knew Kirk was going to catch Manoa anyway give Moreno a day to, to kind of process and focus on tomorrow or whatever the next day he catches is a um, couple updates coming down from the Orioles side. We don't have uh, a lineup yet that I can see, 
But it's being reported that Keegan Aiken and Anthony Santander are going on the restricted list for Baltimore uh, due to vaccination status as they visit Toronto here. The Santander pronunciation, I always uh, I had a bit for a while with some friends, the chowder chowder bit from Simpsons, and then uh, I couldn't remember which one was which. Uh, Santander, Santander. He will probably not be in the lineup if that reporting is accurate about his uh, availability and his trip to the restricted list. Um, your Toronto Blue Jays come in pretty well rested. The starters over the weekend uh, in going two and one and dramatically outscoring the Tigers uh, left the bullpen pretty well rested. Tim Mays is back through four pitches on Saturday. That's it. Didn't pitch Sunday. Jordan Romano. Jimmy Garcia, Trent Thornton pitched yesterday, mostly just to get some work in. Garcia and Thornton hadn't pitched since Wednesday. Romano hadn't pitched since Tuesday. Kind of want to see Romano again soon after Arden just teed up the PC as coming and what the Jays may have found in Romano's delivery to unlock some of that velocity he'd lost. Matt Gage still around too. Go over to sportsnet.ca and check out Arden's Wellings feature on Matt Gage's unlikely path to the majors and how uh, being a guy that the models liked got him another chance at the majors. Uh, Just run the the numbers and Matt Gage comes out looking good. He's looked pretty decent in his short time with the Jays. He's probably the odd man out later in the week, barring an injury somewhere um, as the Jays, unless MLB extends the deadline for having to change the roster, uh, maxing out at 13 pitchers, Gage would probably be the odd man out. Uh, So the Baltimore Orioles have officially announced that Keegan Aiken and Anthony Santander are on the restricted list. They have selected Rico Garcia and Kyle Stars from AAA. Stars uh, will be making his major league debut. We talked about him with Paul uh, just a little bit. Another one of the O's prospects uh, that there are to be excited about uh, if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan. Um, If you're an AL East fan, you probably don't like the optimism the Orioles are, uh, are carrying themselves with. The fact that they have so many top prospects near the majors. Stars, by the way, uh, a three-position outfielder who hits lefty. So wouldn't be surprised at all if he's in the lineup against Alec Manoa today, given the splits. Uh, He was slugging 545 down at AAA, 12 homers in 49 games, couple stolen bases as well. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see his major league debut if he makes it tonight against Manoa. We'll keep you updated on an Orioles lineup in a little bit. Again, 707 first pitch tonight. Jays Orioles, the first of four. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Rogers Sportsnet radio network. Let's take a breather. When we come back, Cadence Weapon, Raleigh Pemberton, talking about his new book, talking about his Blue Jays fandom. He's got a doppelganger for me that I, I'm not a, a huge fan of. We'll debate that, and we'll give away a copy of his book. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back. It's Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's Orioles tonight, 707, first pitch, Ben Wagner on the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Orioles putting two players on the restricted list before this one in Keegan Aiken and Anthony Santander. Kyle Stowers coming up, make his major league debut. We'll see if he's in the starting lineup when we get that. Uh, on the Jays' side, if you missed it a little earlier, Alec Manoa on the hill, Alejandro Kirk catching so Moreno gets the day off, and Matt Chapman still out, but he's going to take batting practice to see if he might be available off the bench as a pinch hitter as he continues to deal with that sore right wrist. That song on the way in is from an artist named Cadence Weapon. It's Riley Pemberton who makes music under that name. He's also the author of Bedroom Rapper. He's the inaugural Atkinson artist. He's the winner of the 2021 Polaris Music Prize for his album Parallel World. Raleigh, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Good. Nice to talk to you again. I uh, haven't seen you in a bit. I, I know we never we never ended up fitting in a Raptors game there down the stretch, but we got to do a Jays one soon. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm down with that. So, Raleigh, you, you just released Bedroom Rapper. Your story from kind of making beats in an attic in Edmonton where you grew up, all the way to where you are now, Polaris Music Prize winner, Atkinson artist, um, and how your story kind of follows along with the history of hip-hop over the last 20 years or so. Um, for any listener who doesn't know your story or is interested in the book, give us kind of the, the elevator pitch here uh, on what went into this book. Yeah, for sure. So this is a book. It's about my career, but it's also about you know the history of Canadian hip-hop. It's the history of rap overall. And just my experiences just as a young kid in Edmonton with a seemingly impossible dream of becoming a rapper and how I made it happen, basically. That's great, man. It's, uh, I mean, it's been cool to see your rise as a fan of you and later as a friend. And obviously the Polaris Music Prize, a pretty big, pretty big honor. And then you're also going to be the inaugural Atkinson artist. Uh, what, is, what does something like that mean to you? Yeah, so that's a huge thing for me. You know, it's been something that's been developing for a while. And, yeah, it's basically a fellowship that essentially Atkinson will be supporting just everything I do going forward, you know, whether it's, you know, writing or music or performances, but also collaborations with people and also just different communities in Toronto. It's, it's going to be a really cool thing. It is a cool thing. Uh, one part of the book that stood out to me as – uh, you know, something relatable, maybe not on your level, of course. Uh, you know, I, I grew up around the time that Eight Mile came out and everyone thought they could do a little a little battle rap at one point. But you did competitive basement karaoke. Mm -hmm. So so if I threw the gauntlet down to you right now, like, let's let's find a basement. Let's find a karaoke machine. Let's go toe to toe. What would your go to song be now? Okay, so this is a great question because um, I, I just did karaoke this weekend uh, at Owl's Club, and uh, I really turned turned out the place. You know, so my, my go-to karaoke right now, I have two karaoke lanes. I do uh, singing, you know, where uh, I, I'll do like uh, David Bowie, Golden Years, you know, something like that. But then I like to, you know, I, as a party trick, I like to rap. Right. And I think there's a thing in karaoke. Whenever you hear someone rapping, it's, it can be painful. It's, it's a lot harder than people realize. Right. But for me, it's easy. 
So yeah, this weekend I did um, Hypnotized by Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> and people were uh, gobsmacked. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so a related question as we pivot this to baseball now. Much, much different beat you have to strike here, but what's the walk-up song? Oh, wow. You know, I, I think I'd have to go with uh, Anti Up by MOP. Nice. That's a, <laughs> that's a great one. That's a, an unmistakable first couple notes, which is always a, a great thing to have. Uh, if you're a good baseball player, if you're, if you're a mediocre baseball player, I don't know if you want the, Oh no, not this guy again. Um, so you, you and I, our friendship has kind of been based around your, your Raptors fandom at first. Um, but you've gotten, you've always been a Jays fan, but this particular version of the team has you really excited as a fan. What is it about this group that, that has you so on board with the Jays this year? Yeah. You know, I, I really feel a lot of the hype and excitement around the team, like everything from like the whole, uh, you know, the home run jacket thing, you know, and how they're always hugging. And you know what they remind me of to take it to basketball a little bit. They're kind of like that Brooklyn Nets team that used to dance all the time. <laughs> you, you know, it's like yeah. they're having a lot of fun. Like, I really feel the fun around this team. I think that's always a good thing for team chemistry, you know, and I think it's going to take them far this year. That's great. And, and there's no, there's no shortage of individuals that, that make it fun too. And we, we kind of, as we were texting beforehand and trying to figure out specifically where to go, it's just like, man, there are so many fun guys you could, you could be excited about. You could talk about um, who individually has stood out the most to you as, oh, I, I'm really drawn to that guy. I really like that guy. Well, you know, obviously I'm really excited about Vladdy. Of you course. Know? I mean, he, he, he plays with such joy. You know, it really kind of reminds me of Scotty Barnes, honestly. Yeah, like, that's a good just comp. Got, has that kind of vibe. But also there's like a fearsomeness underneath it as well. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And, and obviously the results kind of back it up. Second in MVP voting last year, Scotty Barnes has the rookie of the year. Uh, that's, a, that's a fun comp to track. And then, you know, on... On Vlad's side, he has the more stoic or, or more kind of lead by example co-star in Bo Bichette. I guess we could kind of Bo talks a lot more. We could shoehorn an OG thing in there with him, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure that we're maybe Gary Trent's a better comparison with the the hair and the the headbands yeah. and everything like that. I was trying to think who has the longest hair on the Raptors. Yeah, uh, Precious probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Maybe. By the way, happy uh, happy anniversary of the championship. Oh, what a what a beautiful day! Wow. Producer Jr. is behind the glass in his championship T-shirt. Uh, I did a Raptors podcast earlier today too over at Hoopside. I, I'm I'm not straying too far from the the Raptors stuff, even though it's a it's a Jays show and I'm on the Jays beat now. Um, the big talk this weekend around the Jays was Gabriel Moreno. I, I know that got you pretty excited as well. Um, how? How cool is it from the fan side to you're not only getting the winning team, but you're getting the top prospects as well. Again, not to overdo the Raptors parallels, but it's kind of similar in that you're not supposed to have a number four prospect when you're also a winning team. Absolutely. You know that. And I mean, I guess you could say that's good team building, right? But you know, it's, it's really exciting to be in Toronto right now, you know, just to be a Toronto sports fan. Like I feel like it's a golden age right now. It is if uh, if if we ignore the the leaf side of it, I guess at least uh, I think I think if look if there are Raptors people listening who are like ah, I I tune into to Cadence for Raptors or there's Jays people listening to the show like ah, I tune into this show uh, for Jays not Raptors talk I think they can both agree that 
LOL, the Leafs <laughs> in this uh, in this moment. Um, so I want to give you a platform here to share with listeners, especially those who maybe don't know what I look like, uh, because this is a fairly new show. You you think I look like one of the Jays? I've been told a different one of the Jays, but uh, I'm going to give you the platform here because I'm a man of the people. Yeah, you know, um, I I don't know if it, it's so much the face, but maybe the physique. Yeah. But uh, I was feeling like you have a bit of an Alejandro Kirk vibe. You know, he's like the Mexican version of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I'm if I'm feeling that one. It's uh, I don't know. I, I'll take it given the performance where that's been at. He's been uh, he's been so good that uh, I'll take it for now. I've also been told the David Phelps one when I have a, a hat on or whatever, but that's just because, you know, generic looking bearded white guy, uh, which is, uh, that's fine. That's half of baseball. <laughs> and, and, and the fans. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, uh, Raleigh, there's, there's one other thing that I know you wanted to talk about, and it's someone who comes to baseball casually and then you know when the team's this exciting gets a little more hardcore there are some baseball conventions you just can't wrap your head around yeah yeah there there are a few things i find really weird about baseball like you know i mean you, you play so many games per year which it, it seems like there's like three games a day and then it's like uh all you play all these games and then suddenly it's like wild card game one game besides <laughs> it all you know it's like come on but the thing I specifically was wondering about are those necklaces that uh, you see people wearing that, you know, and uh, apparently they have like kind of healing properties. Is this true? Well, is it, is it true? And do they say it's true are two very different things here. So I'm not sure what the exact brand of them is right now. Um, maybe a, a decade ago, there were these like fighting necklaces, P-H-I-T-E-N. They were like titanium necklaces that were supposed to like, balance out your ions or something like that. I played some pretty competitive. I played some pretty competitive slow pitch around the time. I'll admit it. I had one. Everyone on the team had one. It was like part of the uniform. Basically you wear red and black as jerseys. You got to get a red one and a black one. It's uh, I'll say this though, in the era of like sports science and data and everything, if those things worked even 0.1%, we would see them more often. Someone would have uh, would be on top of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, maybe there's like even a placebo effect going on here where, you know, you wear them and you just feel better. It could know? be. I mean, I think that's probably what a lot of that stuff is. I don't, I don't want to talk negatively about, you know, if, if someone's into the crystals or whatever, but I do think a lot of times it's, you know, get your mind right. And if that helps you get your mind right, then you feel a little better. I don't think, I think that's something people in kind of any performance industry can, can appreciate a little bit. Oh, you know, that's why rappers wear chains, actually. <laughs> it gets your it gets your ions right ahead of the yeah. ahead of the performance. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any performances here coming up? I know I know you had some uh, not too long ago. I also know you're back in the studio, so maybe you're you're a little too busy. Oh, I'm just doing it all. I actually do have uh, the book launch here in Toronto uh, on this Friday, actually, at uh, Type Books in the Junction. So that's happening. What time is that at? That one's at seven. Okay. And, uh, and I'm also going to be doing a little uh, a DJ after party uh, in the same area in the junction, three zero zero one Dundas West. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to say because the seven o'clock the book the book launch at Type Books love Type Books by the way. Um, Emma Healy has a, a great book out through them as well uh, that you can check out there. Um, Type Books is excellent, but it, that 
conflicts with Jay's Yankees, but Jay's mm. Yankees will be done early enough for me to make that DJ set still. So we're, we're still in business here, man. Um, Raleigh Pemberton, AKA cadence weapon. I read your, your, yeah, I'll just do it again to, to pump your tires on the way. Author of bedroom rapper, the inaugural Atkinson artist, the winner of the 2021 Polaris music pride for parallel world, a competitive basement karaoke champion. Don't Ooh. step to him at owl. Do not do it. Um, we're going to give away a copy of your book bedroom rapper right now as well. Uh, listeners can call us at 416-870-0590 or triple eight six 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 zero five ninety, or just star star five ninety on your cell. Uh, caller number seven will send you a copy of his book. Producer JR grab your details. That's caller number seven right now. It's bedroom rapper, the book it's parallel world, the album it's Raleigh Pemberton, AKA cadence weapon. Thanks so much for taking the time today, buddy. Oh, thank you so much, Blake. I feel like that was the ultimate um, wrestling promo. Yeah, man. I, I got a little Paul wanted, Heyman you know? to me. I got a little Paul yeah. Heyman. I could do it. I love it, man. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Thank you. Again, that's that's Raleigh Pemberton, a.k.a. Cadence Weapon. Uh, check out his music, Polaris Prize winning music. Uh, check out his book, Bedroom Rapper. And we're giving away a copy to caller number seven right now, 888 or star 590 on your cell. So we talked to Arden Zwelling for about an hour earlier. We talked to Paul Mancano about the Orioles side of things. Let's take a closer look at tonight's game. It's the first of four. The Jays will play against the Orioles. The Orioles will be without Keegan Aiken and Anthony Santander as they go on the restricted list around vaccination protocols. Rico Garcia and Kyle Stowers are up from AAA for the Orioles. Stowers going to make his major league debut at some point in the series, you'd think especially because he's a lefty and we know what lefties do against Alec Manoa so far this year. The answer to that is damage more damage than righties. At least Manoa has been lethal against right-handed hitters struggled a little bit against lefties. The sinkers come along against lefties. Arden laid out the case a little earlier for us of why he thinks maybe Manoa's improved there and what he's looking for against left-handed hitters tonight. The active Orioles have 42 plate appearances against Manoa, uh, a sub 300 expected weighted on base average based on the kind of beta batted ball data and strikeouts and walks. That's very good. Ryan Mountcastle has had some success against him in a fairly reasonable sample. He'll hit fifth tonight. And the Orioles have a 95 WRC plus against right-handed pitching. That means they're only about 5% below the league average offense when you adjust for a few factors against right-handed pitching. I say that not because that's good, but just because the Jays are coming off a couple series against very bad offenses. The Orioles don't quite qualify as very bad. They're just a little bad. Their issues are more preventing runs than scoring runs. Here's the lineup the Orioles will go with against Alec Manoa tonight. Cedric Mullins leads off and plays center field. Trey Mancini at DH. Austin Hayes hits third and is in right. Rugnet Odor playing second and getting the nod in the cleanup spot. Mentioned how lefties have hit Manoa fairly well. Well, there's your bet on that continuing right there from the Orioles side of things. Ryan Mountcastle hits fifth and plays first. Adley Rutschman, one of the best prospects in baseball, will catch and hit sixth. Tyler Nevin at third. Kyle Stowers does make that major league debut playing in left field, hitting eighth again from the left side. And Jorge Mateo rounds it out 
at shortstop. The Orioles will put Kyle Bradish on the hill tonight. If you watched Friday's game or remember our breakdown of Friday's game ahead of time, he has a similar profile to Elvin Rodriguez. He's a better fastball than Elvin Rodriguez. Uh, the secondary stuff isn't quite the same level. And we saw what the Blue Jays did to Elvin Rodriguez. Kyle Bradish, Bradish is going to come in with a 95 mile an hour fastball. Has a fairly high spin rate, which means it's going to have more of the rising action than the sinking action. It has been destroyed this year. Teams have hammered Kyle Bradish's fastball, despite it being 95. You look at those pitch heat zones, it's very, very clear why. He catches too much of the plate for a fairly flat fastball. How bad has it been? Well, opponents are hitting 367 against it and slugging 646. You don't need to get into any of the batted ball stuff to realize that that's pretty good. 646 slugging against your 95-mile-an-hour fastball. That's tough. And he throws it 53% of the time. He's only gotten swing and misses on 18% of swings. So you're sitting fastball if you're a fastball hitter for the Jays tonight. He'll also mix in a slider in pretty heavy volume. He's got about nine miles an hour separation from his fastball. Um, he'll use that heavily against righties, a little less so against lefties. It becomes his number four pitch against lefties, but he throws it nearly as often as the fastball against righties. Opponents have only hit 220 off of it. They've still hit it for power well. Uh, you can put a charge into it if you get a hold of it, but it's a little tougher to get a bat on. 41% swing and miss rate on that one. Um, a little bit predictable location-wise. He's going to throw that thing low and away. That's what he's going to do to righties. Um, maybe that's uh, something you can work with because he doesn't locate his fastball down in the zone at all. We, we talked with Arden earlier about Kevin Gosman, how it's fastball up and splitter down. And maybe after a certain amount of time, you can start to guess with a little more knowledge. Well, in Bradish's case, it's fastball up, sometimes fastball in, and then that slider down and away. If you're a righty, seven of the Jays are, are righties today. So we'll keep the focus there. Ryan Tapia and Kevin Biggio hitting eight, nine from the left side. They'll see a little bit more of a change up kind of locates that one all over the place. Uh, and then he will throw a curveball to either handed batter. Not a huge sample of those this year. He's thrown 61. It's fewer than 10% of his pitches, but he will throw it. Keep you guessing. He'll mix it in. Opponents have hit 250 off of it, but no extra base hits off the curveball yet. Again, kind of locates that all over the place. If that sounds familiar, yeah, it's similar to Elvin Rodriguez, who they saw on Friday and hammered. The Jays have never faced Bradish at the MLB level. Um, none of their players have, of course. But against fastballs from righties that sit 93 to 95, where Bradish will sit. And if you want to narrow it down for high spin rate and kind of what high spin rate indicates is it's more of a rising action than, than the sinking action. Um, George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, have all hit those medium hot fastballs from righties very, very well over the last two seasons. The Jays just tattooed one of these same fastballs a couple days ago. The Jays in general have hit fastballs at a top five rate this year in terms of expected outcomes. 
it sometimes doesn't feel that way because you have a guy like Bo Bichette who's done so well against off-speed and breaking stuff. We've seen them be aggressive early in counts against non-fastball stuff, and they've had players like a Bo or like a Matt Chapman very early in the year who struggled against the hard stuff. Chapman's really come around, and the key pieces in the middle of this Jays order have had no trouble top and middle of the order, have had no trouble with this stuff. George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, all profile very well against Kyle Bradish. And that's why, when you look at tonight's game, the Toronto Blue Jays are monster favorites. Such heavy favorites, in fact, that I had to go to the old spreads database and find out the last time the Jays were a minus 300 favorite or greater. They're minus 315 right now. To give you an idea of what that means. They would have to win a little over 75% of the time for you to be profitable on that line. I know not everyone's um, betting savvy or or understands what those means. A minus 315 line means you're looking at, you got to win 76% of the time to break even. I don't know that any baseball matchup, I would pick one team to win 76% of the time. That's really, really extreme, but it does speak to just how big a gap the Manoa versus Bradish and Jays versus Orioles matchup is, at least on paper. Something you might look at instead, if that's, if that's not paying you enough. If you are very convinced the Jays offense will continue rolling, that Kyle Bradish isn't going to figure it out tonight as he works through what Paul Mancano called a, a developmental year earlier for him You could look at the Jays total five and a half as a team. It's maybe something you like better than the over eight and a half in the entire game because Alec Manoa is on one side and you'd rather have a vote of confidence in Manoa than in the overall run environment of the game. That over five and a half, you get a little better value on it for the Jays as well. Again, I laid out the case why certain Jays could have big nights tonight. If you're looking at things like a player total bases over under or anything like that. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer would be the names that stand out. Uh, The price on Springer has actually swung out of our favor. So compared to where it was this morning, people seem to have been on the George Springer idea. You can look at that stuff. Even if if you don't, that should give you a better idea of what this Jays team is going to look like tonight, what this game looks like. Uh, A little later in this series, the Jays will see Jordan Lyles, Bruce Zimmerman, and Tyler Wells. We'll tee up each of those each day. Give you a little heads up, though. Not a lot of strikeouts in that bunch. Not a lot of walks either, but not a lot of bat missing. That suited the Jays fairly well so far. I mentioned since May 24th, they are the best offense in baseball by a long shot. How big a long shot? Well, the Yankees are awesome. They've been very, very good. The Jays have gone 13 and four in that stretch and they've lost ground in the AL East. But the Jays have a 159 WRC plus during that stretch to 139 for the Yankees. That means the Jays have been 60% better than league average at the plate while the Yankees have been just 40% better. The Jays hitting 304 with a 381 OBP since May 24th. It's now 17 games. Maybe the most encouraging thing about the ability for that to sustain or not regress too heavily, at least tops in the league and walk rate during that stretch and the fourth lowest strikeout rate. The Jays haven't gotten away from being an aggressive offense that jumps early in counts. If they see, if they get what they're looking for, 
but they've been pretty good not wasting plate appearances, making pitchers work. And you've seen that up and down the lineup. You see that with Kevin Biggio hitting ninth. That's kind of what he does. You see that with Alejandro Kirk settled into the cleanup spot. He doesn't give away plate appearances even early in the year when the extra base hits weren't there. Matt Chapman as well. Matt Chapman not in the lineup tonight. We've got a question from Cole from Huntsville who asks, how concerned are you about Matt Chapman? Is there a possibility they shift the infield a bit and put Gabriel Moreno at third, considering they gave him a look at that position last season? I think that's probably a little much for a 22-year-old catcher who's learning a very tough position on as he gets called up here and really doesn't have much experience at third base since back when he was a, you know, in the infield when he was a teenager. He's had a couple games there in the minors and in instructional league, but not a lot. I think the more likely scenario is we continue to see Espinal at third and Biggio at second. And if Chapman were to need an IL stint, They've got Otto Lopez, Leo Jimenez on the 40-man, and you could take a look at Jordan Groshans, who has bounced all around the diamond at AAA and who's hitting pretty well. I don't know that you'd task Moreno with that. I think you'd want him getting those reps maybe at AAA at least to start. Um, but if he hits well, they're going to want to keep all these catchers in the mix. So I, I can't rule anything out, I don't think. Uh, thanks for the question, Cole from Huntsville. And hey, shout out to Sean from Brampton. He won the copy of the book we gave away, um, Bedroom Rapper, by Raleigh Pemberton, who also releases music under the name Cadence Weapon. His 2021 album, Parallel World, won the Polaris Music Prize. So it's a good book to dive into, Sean. Uh, good question from Cole as well. And thanks to Arden Zwelling, who came on for an hour with us earlier. Uh, Paul Mancano as well of Masson kind of gave us the look at the Orioles side of things. If you missed either of those interviews, you can go back and check it out on the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. You also get Blair and Barker postgame there. They'll have Jays Talk for you tonight. Ben Wagner is on the call, first pitch 707 on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Give a big thank you to JR and Brett. Behind the glass, Brett in a blue and pink Toronto Raptors jersey. JR in a Raptors championship celebration t-shirt. It's a good day for Toronto sports. It's, uh, it sets the table well for a Blue Jays win, I think. Tomorrow, we're going to talk to Chris Black, as we always do on Tuesdays. We've also got a little Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame content. Scott Crawford, the director of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, will come on with us. Jeff Francis, who's going into that hall, will come on with us. And we're hoping to be joined by Ricky Romero tomorrow. Should be a fun one. Be an extra fun one if Alec Manoa and the Jays get another win tonight. Make it 14 of their last 18 as they go through this stretch of lighter competition. Again, though, this Baltimore Orioles team, not as bad as the last couple teams the Jays saw. They are only a little below average at the plate against right-handed pitching. They have a number of fun prospects on the rise. But it's Kyle Bradish against Alec Manoa. You got to like your chances. It's Alec Manoa. It's bump day, as his Instagram always says on these days. Hope you guys enjoy the game. Hope you guys enjoy the first of four between these two down at Rogers Center. Jay's Talk Plus will be back tomorrow. I'm Blake Murphy. This is Sports at 590, The Fan.